Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Man, it's good to be with y'all. If you have your Bible, would you go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12, the gospel of Mark chapter 12 is where we're gonna be here in a few moments. And um, I know I say this regularly when I get to um, stand here and preach, but it's such an honor, such a privilege to be with y'all. I love this church and what God's doing and kind of a true blessing to, to get to try to fill some big shoes this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 12, and as you're still turning there, I'm gonna go ahead and um, get started just with praying, but feel free to, to keep finding your spot there. God, it is so good to come this morning and just to be with your people and to worship, Lord, to, to think about the truths and these songs that we're singing, God, to, to stir up our heart, our love for you, um, be reminded of all that you've done and, and who you are. And God, I pray that as we study your word this morning, that you would continue to speak to us, that you would continue to, to draw our hearts to yourself. And Lord, I pray that um, you would just speak very clearly. If you would, with your head still bowed, your eyes closed, just take a moment to pray and ask that God would, uh, that he would speak to you this morning, that he would just be very real to you. And if you would, take a moment just to pray for me, that God would uh, use me this morning. God, we love you, we're grateful for you, and pray that you would uh, help us to be focused on you this morning. So in your name we pray, amen. What is it? that matters most in life? What is the most important thing? What is it that you've got to do so that you don't get to the end of your life and feel like you've, you've, you've missed it? Uh, I know y'all are like me in that you wake up in the morning and even, like it's amazing, you wonder if people sleep, even on, in, when you wake up in the morning on your phone, you'll, you have missed text messages, missed calls. You, uh, maybe if you check your email, you have things like that, maybe a Fox News alert or whatever. So many things that are just pulling on our attention. Y'all with me with that? It feels like so many things are begging for our, our energy, our focus, things that we feel like we need to do that we, we've got to get done. But the question is, are they the most important thing? Like, what is it that really, really matters in this life? John Piper, he's a preacher and an um, author. And he tells the story about when he was growing up in his dad's church, his dad was a pastor. His dad used to always share this story um, of, a, of an older gentleman who came down to the front during the invitation of the service. And as he talked with John Piper's dad, the pastor, he began to weep. And through tears, he just kept saying, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. And John Piper writing about that experience, he says, this was, the, this was the story that gripped me more than all the stories of young people who died in car wrecks. The story of an old man weeping that he had wasted his life. In those early years, God awakened in me a fear and a passion not to waste my life. The thought of coming to my old age and saying through tears, I've wasted it, I've wasted it was a fearful and horrible thought to me. Another riveting force in my young life, small at first, but oh so powerful over time, was a plaque that hung in our kitchen over the sink. We moved into that house when I was six. 
So I suppose I looked at the words on that plaque almost every day for 12 years till I went away to college at age 18. It was a simple piece of glass painted black on the back with a gray link chain snug around it for a border and for hanging. On the front, an old English script painted in white were the beginning words, only one life, twill soon be passed. To the left, beside these words, was a painted green hill with two trees and a brown path that disappeared over the hill. (laughs) How many times as a little boy and then as a teenager with pimples and longings and anxieties, I looked at that brown path, my life, and wondered what would be over that hill. The message was clear. You get one pass at life. That's all. Only one. What do you need to do with your life so that you do not waste it? What is the most important thing? What is it that matters most? Well, we're not the only people who have struggled with that and asked that question. There's a man in Mark chapter 12 that actually got to ask Jesus that question. It starts in verse 28. So let's check it out. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered, talking about Jesus, that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? So it was common in Jesus' ministry that those who opposed him, those who really did not like his teaching, his authority, would come and they would question him. And they would try to trap him and, and ensnare him in the answers he gave. But it appears that this scribe was genuine. Like he, he actually really wants to know what does Jesus say is the most important commandment of all? Kind of like what we're talking about this morning, right? There were 613 commandments. And this was a common debate for the scribes, for the Pharisees, the Sadducees. What was the most important commandment? Of all that God gave, what's the most important? Is it, is it to not commit adultery, not uh, commit idolatry, to, to love your neighbor as yourself, to not envy? Like, what is the most important thing? Let's see the answer that Jesus gave. Verse 29, Jesus answered <clears throat> the most important is. And then he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. You know, I've done the, um, the Greek and the Hebrew, and actually it's not Hebrew, but the Greek. You know what that means? Love God with everything. <laughs> We don't need to overcomplicate it. He's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love him with everything that you are. What is the most important thing you can do in this life? He says, love God with everything that you are. That's that's the most important commandment. Not, Not with your mind to the exclusion of your heart and not with your heart to the exclusion of your mind. Love him with everything. Now he continues a little bit and you're going to, I'll just read it to you. Verse 31. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding 
and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor, as, excuse me, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. That little, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Don't, don't let that throw you off. If you, uh, what's kind of going on there, just give you a little bit of what's going on. If you read through the rest of Mark, unless I've missed it, it doesn't seem like from this point on, any of those who oppose Jesus tried to ensnare him like that with, those, with tricky questions and tried to, to trap him. Um, see that they, they realize it's kind of hard to get this guy in a trap, which turns out that God actually knows what he's talking about, right? So um, kind of hard to ensnare him. So they, they quit trying to trap him ultimately until they uh, had him arrested and had a, a joke of a trial and then crucified him, had him murdered. Um, so that, that's what says no one's daring it. They're gonna just lay back on his authority right now. But a few other things that are going on. You might say, well, how come Jesus, if, if there's the man asked, what's the most important commandment? How come Jesus answered with two commandments? Well, pretty simple. First of all, Jesus is taking this man's question a step further and showing him that really all of the law is summed up in these two commandments. First of all, love God. Second of all, love people. That if you do those, that's the heart of the law. So he's showing that to him. But also it, more than that, you can't really separate them, right? If you love God, then that should result in what? Loving people, right? Yeah, that they, it follows closely. First John tells us you can't say that you love God, but hate your brother, right? Love for God should result in love for people. So that's I think why, why he includes them together. But again, the most important is to what? To love God, to love God with all that you are. Now, he says to the man in verse 34, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And I think it's important for us to get, he tells this man, you're not far, which is a positive. He's not like taunting him, but he's saying you're close. And here's the reality. You can know that the most important thing in life is to love God. And that the second thing right after that is to love people. But just knowing that doesn't make you a Christian, right? God, Jesus is speaking from a kingdom mindset here. And that again, how you come into a relationship with Christ, with God is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in his saving work, on the cross and in the empty grave. That's what makes you a Christian, repenting from your sins, trusting in him. And as a believer, the most important thing you can do is to love him. It's the most important thing, to love him with all that you are. I remember in college, I had a, one of my best friends named Robbie and we were hanging out kind of in the courtyard of our uh, Bible college there. And there was an, another gentleman um, who came up to us that day and I'll, his name was not Bob, I'll just call him Bob. And um, he, uh, he had a really cool accent that I'll try to duplicate here in a second, probably butcher it. But um, Bob came up to us and Bob was one of those guys who was like always super spiritual. You know what I mean? Like, like to Jesus juke you. And if you don't know what I mean, so like um, you, you could never just have like a regular conversation. What I mean is if he came up to you and said, Brandon, how are you doing? And if you said, I'm doing pretty good, he would say, no, 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 Brandon, how are you doing? And I'm like, no, really, I'm doing good. <laughs> like, like, it's okay. He was kind of one of those guys. Anybody know somebody like that? Just don't tap your spouse. Um, just always super spiritual. Well, so this day we're in the courtyard and Bob comes up to Robbie and I, and I don't know why he picked Robbie to be his victim, but he said, Robbie, <laughs> do you love God? And Robbie said, uh, Bob, uh, yeah, I love God. He said, no, 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 no. 
Robbie, do you love God? And Robbie said, I, I think so. Yeah. He said, no, 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 Robbie, do you love God? And Robbie said, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> It was funny, we went back to the dorm and, and several hours later, we were still kind of laughing about like, man, what is his deal? And Robbie said, you know, as awkward as that situation was out in the courtyard, um, that's a fair question. Like, I, you know, Robbie said, you know, I go to Bible college, I do Christian things, I know I should love God, but really, do I love, or do I love God? And so here's the, the question for us this morning, is do you love God? This is a really simple passage to understand, right? Like I didn't spend hours on exegesis. Like it's pretty simple, right? Like you, I could have read this and not said anything and you would know what it means. But applying it, living it out is totally different, right? Do you love God? Not like, do you do things for God? Do you um, come to church? But do you love him? There's a difference in doing and delighting, Right? Do you enjoy God? One of our speakers at a conference that we went to with the car kind of simulcasted uh, with our college students this year it was Passion. And one of the speakers said, um, love is about delighting, not doing. And then he said, the heart is an organ of preference, not performance. Does your heart prefer God? I mentioned this is hard to live out. Again, we have so many things nagging at our attention. We get busy with so many things that sometimes are like good things, but they distract us from, from love for God. Like if I'm honest, I feel like it's not very often that I get up in the morning with my like heart and my focus being, all right, today, the objective is to love God. Like even this morning, I was, got up and started looking, at, like looking over my sermon at, as soon as I finished my prayer walk for you guys around the loop. Um, and uh, and started looking over it and I started feeling this pressure like I want it to be a good sermon and I was like wait a second like what I'm preaching about is that the most important thing is to love God and so today my goal is not to like, have a great sermon my goal is to love God that's the that's the most important thing and again he, I get loving people follows right on the hills of that but he says that first of all the starting point is loving God it's so easy as Christians to uh, to waver from that my wife and I um, have a little kayak and occasionally, it's been, it's been a while, but I like to go out to May Simmons and just that monster of a lake that it is <laughs> and um, go out there and get, get the kayak out in the water. And it, it's funny, like this seems like the second we stop paddling, to say we're, we pick an area we want to go, let's go over there to where that picnic table is. The second we quit paddling in that direction, we, we, we veer off, right? It's like our hearts are prone to do that. I want to love God and we so quickly veer off to other things. Or maybe we just came out of the winter time or actually yesterday kind of felt like winter, amen. But um, maybe in the winter you have a fire pit or something, right? For your kids or uh, your grandkids or maybe you and your spouse just want to have, do some s'mores out in the backyard or something. And if I don't stoke that fire, what happens? It dies out. I think our, our, love, our love for God tends to kind of be like that. It, just, it can wane. But he says, Mark 12, 28 through 34, the most important thing is to love God. And really, this is like a theme throughout Scripture. If you study in uh, the book, the Old Testament book of Hosea, God had a bone to pick with the people of Israel because he says, you're committing spiritual adultery. You're supposed to love me first and you love all these other things. 
See, God wants your heart. He wants you to love him. Not just, not just to do things for him, but to love him. And now, <clears throat> excuse me, you may be... Uh, a skeptic here this morning, or maybe someone who's kind of uh, a new believer, which I mean, I'm so glad you're here, but you may hear this and say, well, that seems awfully selfish of God to, to say that the most important thing in life is for us to love him. And, I, and that's a fair question, but here's really the, the biblical and like Christian response to that. So we believe that the Bible teaches us and, and from experience that the most satisfying thing for the human heart is Jesus And so see, actually, by God telling me to love him, he's actually loving me and doing that because as I love him, it turns out it's actually really satisfying and enjoying or enjoyable, right? So he's actually loving us by telling us to love him. Or maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you're hearing this, that God wants your heart. The most important thing in life is to love him with all that you are. And you're like, well, I'm a terrible Christian. (laughs) Like, I'm not very good at this. Or maybe you're thinking, Brandon, like, there's no hope. I'm not gonna love God with all that I am. I don't think God's heart and certainly my heart this morning is not, it's not to do like a drive by guilting and make you just feel bad about this. No, I think this is actually an invitation. All of scripture is an invitation to know and to love the God of the universe. See, if you, if we study this this morning and your, your uh, feeling, your takeaway is, man, I just gotta do better. I'm not very good at loving God. Probably you're not, gonna love God if you just tried to guilt yourself into it. That's kind of like if your parents try to play matchmaker and set you up, set you up with somebody, you see kind of out of guilt trip, go on a date with them. That, that date normally doesn't go well, right? <laughs> but that's not what this is. This is your perfect soulmate inviting you, to, inviting you into the most amazing and adventurous relationship of your life. He says, love me with all that you are. So keeping in mind that it's not about doing, it's about delighting. I wanna let you know, there are things we can do that will help us to delight. Are you with me? And so this morning, what I wanna do, hopefully this is helpful. I wanna give you just five things that I think help us delight in God and really turn our hearts, our love towards God. Because again, he says it's the most important thing in life. So I'm gonna, I know they're not printed for you in the bulletin, I apologize for that, but I'm just gonna give you five things. Hopefully I'll give them to you very slowly and carefully so you can write them down. So here is the first. Again, things to help us turn our love towards God, maybe paddle that kayak the right direction, the kayak of our heart, maybe stoke the fire of our heart for love for God. Here's the first. Confess and ask for help. Confess and ask for help. Uh, man, <laughs> I think there's, there's actually plenty of examples of this in the Psalms of, of saying, like in Psalm 51 of God, uh, excuse me, David saying like, Lord, I've messed up, but also him saying, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Confess and ask for help, meaning, Lord, I am prone to wander. I'm prone to be called, excuse me, I'm prone to be satisfied with the call of lovers that are way less wild than you and just the things of this world. So Lord, help me to quit finding pleasure in them and to actually find my greatest pleasure in you, Lord. You know what? I think that's a prayer that God is willing to answer, amen? (laughs) Lord, help me. I wanna love you. Turn my heart towards you. Confess and ask for help. Here's the second thing. Remove things that rob your affection for Jesus. Remove things that rob your affection for Jesus. 
So that could be obviously sin, right? And again, the Holy Spirit does a good job. I don't have to try to fill in every sin there could be this morning. He may be bringing things to your mind, things that you know are distracting you or keeping you from a healthy love relationship with Christ. And you remove those things. See, God doesn't want a crowded relationship, right? No, he wants just you and him, your heart to be solely sold out to him. So we remove those things. You know, it's not just sin. Um, sometimes there are things that are, that are okay, but they still kind of rob our affection. And uh, I mean, again, so I don't want to like get legalistic here at all. But um, sometimes I think our smartphones can rob our affection for Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I, I hope you'll agree with me. I'm not just talking to teenagers here. <laughs> like I think all of us could, could me included, could, Maybe be, sorry, be a little more careful with that. What, let me just give you an example. Have you ever noticed how, and I'm not even talking about like, um, I'm not even talking about pornography or lust here, but even if you get on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, um, you ever notice as you're scrolling through on your phone or on your, on your computer that sometimes you can get done and just have this kind of feeling maybe of like jealousy or envy or worthlessness, or you're like, man, I can't believe they posted that. I don't even like them. And like, all of a sudden you're like, wait, I was maybe feeling close to God and now there's like a little bit of a barrier here, right? You know what? If social media is gonna rob your affection for Jesus, then get rid of it. Like, it's, it's not worth it. Or you like, don't check it every day, right? It's not worth it. If you're gonna, and I'm not trying to, please know that I'm not trying to be political, but like, if, if watching, I'll just say the news, if watching the news gets you all riled up and distracts you from Jesus, then don't watch the news every day. Like, it's, the world will keep spinning, I promise, Okay. <laughs> God is in control. Turns out Fox News, they're good, but they're not in control of the world, okay? Um, you, can, you can trust God. Don't, you know, don't let TV rob your affection for Jesus. Maybe, again, I know we're supposed to love our neighbor, but maybe there's a person in your life that every time you're around them, they just, because of what they say and do, they tend to distract you from Jesus. Maybe you need to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, I love you, but if you're gonna continue to act that way and talk that way, I, I, I can't hang around you all the time because my heart is sold out to Jesus. Again, you can do it in love. Maybe that was a little rude the way I said it, but um, you, you can do it in love. Now, I think that there's a quote I want to share that will help us lead to the third one. Um, let me get there real quick. This is from Thomas Chalmers. He was a Scottish minister and professor. And he said, how do you, or he asked the question, how do you dislodge a beautiful thing from the human heart? You replace it with a more beautiful thing, Jesus. And that's good. So as I'm trying to remove things that rob my affection for Jesus, I need to do things. Here, this leads us to our third one. Um, do things that stir your affection for Jesus. Do those things that stir your affection for Jesus, that help you set your eyes on him. And two ways I would kind of describe this, things that are prescriptive and descriptive. So prescriptive, excuse me, prescriptive, things that God through his word has given us, all of us to do to grow our relationship with him and grow our love towards him. One of those, maybe first and foremost being what? His word, thank you, Brittany. Yeah, the, the Bible, right? Like to study scripture, to dig into it. This is not just ink on pages. This is what? Breath on pages. This is God's word, to spend, spend time in his word, delighting in who he is and, and the gospel message contained within these pages. Spend time praying, talking to your father, pouring out your heart, listening to him. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Another one, 
It says Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 tells us to gather together and to stir one another up towards love and good deeds. So coming together with other believers and for worship like this or in a small group setting to encourage each other, to be accountable with each other so you can stir up your affection for Jesus. Be constant in doing that. So that's prescriptive, things we're all supposed to do as believers, but also there are things that are descriptive. What do I mean by descriptive? Things that describe the way you grow in your walk with Christ. Now there's some, there would be some things that are out of bounds, right? Like, um, <laughs> you know, we go up, we do mission trips up to Colorado. If someone's like, man, smoking marijuana really helps me grow with Christ. Like that's out of bounds, right? Like we're not talking about that, but do things that help you grow in Christ. So maybe one of those, like I'm excited about this. Next Saturday, we're taking some of our students to go hiking at Palo Duro, And there's something about being out in God's creation that stirs my affection for Jesus. So I want to do that. For some of you, maybe it's sitting down and reading a book, right? And just slowing down and enjoying a book, letting the truths of that book kind of you chew on them a little bit. Maybe it's having some friends over to the house and instead of like ordering food, you actually buy some fresh food and cut it up and, or wash it, cut up and prepare it yourself. And you sit around the table and laugh together, enjoy that meal. You ever have that experience and you leave there and you just kind of feel like, man, God, you're so good. Do those things that stir your affection for Jesus. Now you may be, that's the third one. You, you may be like me and say, okay, Brandon, I do those things, but I don't feel like they always stir my affection. This fourth one would be for you and it's certainly for me. Here's the fourth one. Hey, I'm sorry, before I give you that fourth one, can I read you one quote I think is really important? I'm sorry. Um, this is from Paul David Tripp. And thinking about the third one I just gave you, do things that stir your affection for Jesus. He says this, he's a pastor and author. He says, your character, or I'm gonna insert your love for God isn't created by a few big life-changing decisions, but rather by 1,000 little decisions you make on a daily basis. So I wanted to stop there for a second and encourage you to, to do those little things every day that stir your affection. All right, moving to number four, getting close, I promise. Here's the fourth one. Spend time with God, spend time with God to adore God rather than to accomplish a goal. Spend time with God to adore God rather than to accomplish a goal. Any checklist people in here? Uh, hey, be proud. I'm a checklist person. My wife and I are like OCD highlighting checklist people. Our kids have no chance in life, right? Like all they're gonna be doing is chores the rest of their life. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, a lot of us tend to be checklist people. And here's the reality. Being a checklist, excuse me, a checklist Christian is only gonna help you to maybe do things as a Christian, but it's not gonna necessarily stir your love and delight in Jesus. Are you with me? Because I can technically do my devotional and be completely unchanged. Or I can even do my devotional like, oh, today I'm gonna be more patient with people and actually even be more patient with people, but still not love God. So here's the thing. I wanna spend time with God to adore God, to actually meet with him, not just to say, hey, I read my Bible. Hey, I, I spent some time in prayer. You know, the goal is to meet with God, to, to know him, to love him. You know, if we treated our love relationships in life like a checklist, that doesn't go well either, right? Like if I take my beautiful wife, Lauren, on a date and it's just like, all right, we gotta do date night, let's get this over with. And like, Oops, all right, that's not wise. Go to the restaurant, sitting there, tapping my foot. Get done, all right, we had a date. Check. It's not gonna be good, right? No. When, when I realize that the goal of date night with my wife is 
to grow in our love for each other, not just to accomplish a goal of, hey, check, I did it, but it's actually to, to adore her. It helps me slow down and have quality and quantity time. Because it's not just a goal. I, I want to love her. Same thing for God. Here's our fifth one real quick. We're almost there. Remember his love for you. Remember his love for you. It's interesting, the vast majority of the New Testament is actually spent telling us how much God loves us. <laughs> There's a few instances like here where it tells us to love God. I think some of you this morning, and I've been here plenty of times, you, okay, you read Mark 12, see, okay, the most important thing is to love God with everything that you are. It's easy to give up on that if you feel like God is mad at you or that he doesn't love you or for that matter, doesn't like you. And you know what the answer, the remedy for that is? To remember his love for you, maybe more specifically, remember the gospel. That like Romans 5, 8 says that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. Amen? Or like Romans 5, 1 through 5 says that because of what Jesus has done for us, if we place our faith, our trust in him, we now have peace with God. So it's not like you walk in the room and God shuns you, like shun, shun, like he, he doesn't do that, Right? No, you have peace with him. It says we've obtained access into this grace. So now I'm, in, I'm under God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his love. He loves you. When you remember how much he loves you, then I think you can begin to actually live out Mark 12 and, and actually loving him. Because again, it all starts with him. So these five things, just in case you missed one, you're like, ah, I want to get it. The five things real quickly are confess and ask for help. Remove things that rob your affection for Jesus. Do things that stir your affection for Jesus. Spend time with God to adore God rather than to accomplish a goal. And remember his love for you. Again, we do these, why? Because the most important thing is what? To love God. To love God, right? With all that you are, with everything. So because he, that's the most important thing in life, we want to do things to stir that up, to, to pursue love. When I think about that, when I think about um, pursuing love, stirring up affection, I can't help but think of my mom's parents, my Mimi and Papa. My Papa just passed away a few years ago. Uh, man, he was an awesome guy. Uh, but when I think about the relationship, honestly, it, it was a lot of fun to watch. Like not everybody is blessed with grandparents that love each other, but, um, but he, like, I mean, that love each other, not just in a relationship, but love each other. They were married uh, 57 years, celebrated their anniversary um, just one week before he passed away, 57 years. My papa was always doing things to stir up their love for each other. Like, uh, for example, when they were in their 80s, they did an Easter egg hunt in their backyard. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, he, he always had little pet names for her. He always called her, her name was Betty and he always called her Betby. And she would go, Dudley, and just shake her head, right? Um, but he would do things to, to flirt with her, right? To, to stir up the affection. Uh, he would always leave her, um, sorry. Turn into Danny up here. <laughs> <clears throat> he, he would always do things. Um, he would leave her little notes. Again, even in their 80s, he would leave her little notes. And uh, my mom got one for my Mimi, uh, or she 
gave one for my mom to send me that she still has in her possession. And it's just written on a little piece of scrap paper. I don't know where he put it, but it's a little piece of scrap paper. <clears throat> he said, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't let this day go by without telling you how wonderful you are. And then signed his name. That's it. Just simple. One of their favorite things to do was sit on the back porch in rocking chairs. <laughs> I actually got a picture of them and their wonderful Southern charm. Um, just hanging out. They love being together. Sitting on the back porch. That's not in the back porch. It's actually a little day trip they took uh, to some South Georgia islands just to, to be together, spend the day together. Thanks, guys. You can take that down. Appreciate it. Um, he, he had a knack, or maybe that's not the best way to say it. He had an intentionality about stirring up their love because he knew that to get to 57 years of marriage, to get to the end of their lives and not feel like, well, we wasted that. But to get to the end and still have a strong love that it took some doing that would lead to delighting. So I wanna ask you this morning, what is it that you need to do so that when you get to the end of your life, maybe that's tomorrow, maybe that's 57 years from now, I don't know. What is it you need to do so that you can sit beside God just enjoying his presence, delighting in him? How do you need to stir your affection for Jesus? Because the most important thing in life is to love him with all that you are. Because God wants your heart. We're going to enter a time of response because we believe that God's word demands a response, not like in a mean way, but that it's, it's so good, it's so powerful, it's so authoritative that, that we have to respond, right? This is God's word. So first of all, if you're not a believer this morning, the reality is you can't have a love relationship with God if you don't know Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I, I encourage you, I beg you to turn to Jesus for salvation, to realize that you are a sinner in need of his forgiveness and love and grace and that he lived the perfect life you could never live. He died the death that you deserve so you could exp experience resurrection with him. So we'll have some pastors down front in the morning. They will, excuse me, pastor down front in a moment that would love to pray with you and love to talk with you. Maybe answer some questions you might have about what it means to know Jesus. And if you're a believer this morning, I'm just going to encourage you to consider, maybe as we sing, maybe you want to stand and sing, or maybe you sit, I don't know what, however you need to respond in that moment, but consider how do you need to begin to love God? How do you need to move your heart towards him? I'm going to pray and then we're, we're going to respond. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.